Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. It's great um, to be back. We obviously had the uh, Celebrate Craigavon last week, which is a brilliant day in the Civic Center. And uh, it's great to be back together. Super excited about Alpha. I think we've got almost like 90 people signed up, um, which is wonderful. It would be great to get over 100, wouldn't it? Um, so let's just pray in a few more people. Um, as Debbie said, you're more than welcome. I'm just emphasizing what she said. Um, we're seeing quite a few names on the sign-up that we, we're not, we don't necessarily know, or which is brilliant. And we'd love to see more and more people come so let's um let's really lean in that feels like feels like the lord and the breath of God, the spirit is upon it so um this morning's talk in some ways ties into that um we're on our theme cultivate and i'm going to be taking us further into that this morning we've tried to have a, a couple of sundays prior to last week where we've set the scene a little bit um this morning is a little bit more of that and then from next week on we're going to be like going into the different soils but i'm going to do an overview of those today if that's okay um I'm going to read, let me read it first. Is that okay? So we're going to read um, the parable of the sower again. Let's just honor the word of the Lord and let it speak to us even before I make any comments on it, um, because that's what the word of the Lord does. There's quite a few, in fact, quite a few. We're going to read 21 verses here, right through, or 23 verses, sorry, right through to the end of the interpretation of it as well. So um, yeah, just Holy Spirit, come and speak to us afresh. Move us from familiar to fascinated with your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell in good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever is ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has been given more, whoever, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. 
But since they have no root, root, no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling in good soil refers to someone who hears the word of the Lord and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Amazing um, parable of Scripture that we want to unpack over the next coming weeks. Become particularly personal for me. Last uh, Friday, Friday week ago, on the way home from school, I'd lifted Finn. And uh, in this little cheekish kind of impish way, he started to chat about some stuff. And um, he said in assembly today, the guy was talking about Jesus and the blind man. So I was like, right, well, for the last uh, six months, you've been telling me you don't want to go to church. So the fact that you're saying something about Jesus, then I'm going to try and listen and clock in. And you know when, as parents, we're... You know, those times were not present. I probably wasn't fully present, but when I heard him say Jesus, I thought, right, I need to really lock in here. This is your moment. You're a pastor. All of a sudden, you know, come on, up your game. And um, I listened a little bit longer, and then he just said, Daddy, Jesus came into my heart last night. And I thought, what? <laughs> I kind of like nearly, nearly crashed the car. And I said, what did you say? He says, um... I can't really remember, <laughs> uh, if I'm being honest. But then he said, um, he said, he's going to be with me forever. And so I said to him again, okay, well, why do you think Jesus needed to come into your heart? And um, after a little bit of conversation, he was able to say, because he forgave my sins. Um, and so I had to pull the car over on the road, take a moment, give him a hug, tell him it was the best thing he's ever done with his life and will ever do with his life and um, you know bring him home and tell his mom and his sisters who've been praying for him to do that and um, and FaceTime his granny and granda and watch them cry you know and all that um, because a little seed a little seed has been planted in his heart now Am I naive, naive enough to think that's, that's it? He's going to live for Jesus now all his days? Uh, that's not necessarily something I take for granted, obviously. And so the conditions of his heart as he grows up, what kind of, uh, what kind of soil has that landed in? Are the birds of the air going to come and steal that? As he grows up and as life gets tough, are the rocks of life that just at times crush you because life is hard and things happen and persecution comes and stuff goes on that just kind of feels like it suffocates you. Um, that's a possibility for Finn. He could grow up and become really successful and um, enjoy the pleasures of life. He could just get really, really distracted because he gets really, really busy. He could get deceived by riches and by wealth, and that little seed could get choked. Or he can choose to continue, hopefully with the help of his parents in the early stages, to have soil 
that continues to receive the secrets of the kingdom to produce fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. So I'm thinking about this in a very personal way. Um, and we're going to get into a brief overview of the, fir- the first four soils in a moment. But this is why this parable is so important. This is why this parable has been called the parable about parables. <laughs> Jesus had said that this is the parable that unlocks the others, how we hear, how we listen to the Word of God. Now, a little bit more context before I get into the four soils. This parable comes in Matthew's account of the gospel. Remember, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which tells you something as well. The fact that it's in all three means it's a really important parable. But in Matthew's gospel, it comes in chapter 13. That means that 12 chapters come before it. So what's happened to date? What's happened to date is Jesus obviously has been bored, and uh, he's began his ministry. He's preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's done quite a few miracles. If you were just to do a brief overview of your Bible, a little head, and just he's preached the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever written or spoken. He's done many miracles. He's calmed the storm. He's healed bodies. He's picked his disciples. He's began to bring the challenge of what really following him looks like. He's and he's now also upsetting the religious people who don't really like what he's proposing and how he's living his life. The intensity of what it means to be one of his followers seems to be increasing. Now, the, the crowds are still following him, as you would have noticed in the first verse, which I'll draw your attention to again in a moment. But it does seem that there's a distinguishing factor that's starting to come between who are the real followers and who are just the fans. Who are the spectators and who are the ones that really are counting the cost? Who are the crowd and who are the disciples? And um, by the time we get to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is really starting to poke at where our allegiances really lie. He's really starting to challenge where, uh, where we find our identity. The last verses of tw- chapter 12 tell us that Jesus is out with the disciples and his parents come along to him. Sorry, his dad's probably dead by this t- time, so it's probably Joseph. So it's probably it's Mary and his brothers and sisters that tells us at the end of Matthew 12. And they come to Jesus, but Jesus is in a house and the house is crowded and they can't get in. And everybody says, Jesus, you've got to come and see your mom and your brothers and sisters. And Jesus does something that almost seems a bit rude, but it's not. But Jesus says, no, these are my brothers and sisters. This is my family. And in that moment, Jesus is is challenging even our very allegiance to our nuclear biological family over and above the kingdom family, which is a real challenge for us in the Western world. Not that he's saying that our biological family isn't really important. Of course it is. And in one sense, of course, they are to come first. But in another sense, he's saying that if your allegiance to that supersedes your allegiance to the kingdom and to the kingdom family, then we've, then something's out of alignment. It's a huge challenge. And so it's after this, after Jesus challenges and goes right to the heart of, where does your actual allegiance lie? Then he tells this parable. So it's interesting if you go to verse 1 again, I think it's on the screen in one of the next slides. Chapter 13 starts by saying that um, the same day, Jesus, so the same day that he's challenged this, so this is coming off the back of chapter 12, 
In the same day, he's bringing this challenge about what discipleship really looks like and that cost. He says, on that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by a lake. Such crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat. So the crowds are still there. Um, but while all the people stood on the shore, he starts to tell this parable. But then he says later on, I don't know if you caught it when we read through it, that the crowds don't understand it. The interpretation is only given to the disciples because it's the ones that really count the cost that can only really get the secrets of the kingdom. They're only really ready to receive, which means that we have to, on in an ongoing way, keep our hearts soft. The disciples came to him after he told the parable and said in verse 10, why do you speak to the people in parables? It all feels a bit cryptic. And Jesus said, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. These are the ones that have counted the cost, and these are the ones who are ready to receive the kingdom. Only those who have really repented, only those who go on repenting, only those who are wholehearted in their love and devotion to Jesus are the ones that are ready to receive the ongoing secrets and treasures of the kingdom. This is the actual point of the whole parable, which means there's lots of people in the world who, I think I said this on the first day, it's on the screen, there's lots of people in the world who repent enough to get saved, but don't repent enough to see the kingdom. Don't see repentance as an ongoing thing. Don't have their brains and their hearts and their habits rewired and reconditioned into the ways of Jesus and into the ways of the kingdom because we have to go under this kind of operation daily where the Spirit of God in His loving, gracious ways changes and transforms our thinking. So this parable, and this is why this parable is important for Finn because in one way, he's got a little you know, mostly innocent little heart that has received a seed. But he has to go on repenting. He has to go on recognizing, and I have to help him. And it's easy enough to point out at the minute, you know, where his little will, <laughs> where his little self has developed, you know, his little self gene, you know. And you have to go on and help. The Lord has to help us keep on repenting to be schooled to be schooled in the ways of the kingdom means we have to go on giving up our lives to allow Jesus to speak to us. That being said, what we have seen is that God will continue to scatter seed. The sower uh, sows the seed quite indiscriminately. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we made sure that as we go into this parable further and deeper, we realize that the seed is always good, because the seed is the gospel, and the seed is the metaphor that we see throughout the Scriptures um, that represents the promises and the Word of God, which uh, is a metaphor for how the dream and purposes of God are carried through history. And I don't want to obviously do a run-through of that again because we did that a few weeks ago, but we just tracked this metaphor of the seed from Eden right through. I'll refer to it in a moment. But this morning we want to talk more about how this seed is received because that's the purpose of this particular parable. And, and so I could give you a title for this talk today that's just generally the four soils, but I went for something a little bit more dramatic because a bit of drama is good, but I think it's actually the truth. And if it was the title, what we're going to say in the next 20, 25 minutes, it would be this, the war, the war for our hearts, the war for the human heart. 
Because that is actually what this parable is about, I think, too. Because since the beginning of times, or since Eden, there has been a war raging for the heart of the image bearers of God. Imagine the time when Adam and Eve walked on the earth, and their hearts were just beautiful, receptive seedbeds for God to plant His dream in their heart. Imagine that zero resistance to what God wanted to do and who God was. Imagine that just loving, flowing intimacy that they enjoyed. No resistance, no rebellion, no nothing like that. They just, the human heart longed for God, and the human heart, and God inhabited that space uh, that humankind created for God to be God. But when we sinned and when Adam and Eve sinned, the choice was for self to get on the throne of its own heart. The source of sin, which is self-centeredness, which is me ruling and reigning and defining good and evil on my terms rather than God, the, the root of that is, is a self the root of sin is, is that, is self-centeredness. The, and it's like the curvature of the human heart has turned in on itself rather than in worship towards God. And so there is a sense in which this, another seed got planted, <laughs> and it's, it goes deep too. And it's the seed of self, and it gets deeply planted in the heart of mankind. And and it begins to grow, and the fruit of that seed of self is self-seeking pleasure, self-seeking gain. And we multiply that. We bear fruit of this self in lots of different ways, which we see in the world around us. And the soil of our hearts actually becomes a bit resistant to the Word of God, and we grow the fruit of self. But thanks be to God, in His loving kindness, He would not give up. And throughout and the story that the Old Testament tells us is God will continue as long as there's a human being still on the earth, which is what he's saying to Eve, that a seed will come that will bring about the redemption of what we've done. And so God is trying to seed something in the hearts of people throughout the Old Testament, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, but in that he has to literally, with Jacob anyway, he has to wrestle the self out of them. He has to work that ground so that the seed of self is going into the ground and dying so that they can receive the seed of the dream of God. But it takes work. God has to work these particularly men at this early part of the Bible. And then with the children of Israel, he's, he's doing the same so that the seed of God could be planted. But the story is that we've largely failed. We've, we've, we've fallen short of being able to carry that seed, and God's people haven't produced the fruit in keeping with the seed of God. And so, thanks be to God, Jesus comes, and um, He comes as the seed. But when Jesus is telling this parable, what I, why I'm telling you this is Jesus… The, the, well, it's important to know the story. That's the background music, okay? So if you can imagine Jesus on the boat, he's telling the story. What I just described is the kind of mood music of what Jesus is saying. It's, it's all going on there in the background. People, that's why he's quoting Isaiah, because he's saying, this has been the story of Israel. So he's referring to the fact that this has been the case. These four types of soil have been the way that this has been received. But then he's also saying, crucially, 
I have come to win the human heart. I have, I have come, an even greater Isaiah is now here. And we've always known the seed is good, but the seed is now gooder, right? I learned that word from Phil, right? <laughs> yeah, he always says it's not good English, but it's good preaching, yeah? We knew the seed was good. It's always been good, but it is, it's even gooder now because the seed is Jesus. He personifies what the seed is. The Word, the seed is the Word, and the Word of God, it says, and the Word has become flesh. <laughs> and so Jesus comes as the seed to plant part of Himself in us and part of what He achieves for us on the cross to do for us what we can't do for ourselves so that our selfish seed can die and He can plant within us his life-given seed that overcomes death and sin and all of that. And so this parable is all about how are you going to receive that seed? If the sower is here to, and he's scattering seed, how are you going to receive that seed? It's about human responsibility, and it's about individuals' willingness to receive the Word of God. God wants to give it. It's His pleasure to reveal the secrets of the kingdom but well, not everyone will receive it. And so that's the question that we have to answer. And so let's take a brief look then at these four different responses this morning. Um, the four soils. The first one is the stony ground or the stony path. And this, <clears throat> the first of the soils, I'm just going to do a brief overview of these because the guys in the weeks ahead are going to delve deeper into each one. The first soils that we don't recognize is when we don't recognize or understand or resist the kingdom. Chapter 13, verse 18, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom but doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. This is a type of soil that represents those who completely miss the word of God. They don't, it doesn't penetrate their hearts. They miss the invitation of God to come and reign on us. And as hard as it is to accept this, people resist God's Word. I know when you're young and you, if you were brought up in the church and you hear the message of the gospel and you hear the consequences of not receiving the gospel, I don't know about you, but you, you always, did you ever used to think, like, how can, how can they not get saved? How can people not, you know? And, and maybe even think of your own life before you did get saved. Do you think now, oh, how did it not earlier? <laughs> People resist, and people say no. And we don't necessarily have all the answers behind all of the mystery of that, but it's partly because the gospel make dema they makes demands of our lives. The, go the gospel wants to get a hold of our lives and, and challenge us about how we're giving ourselves up in order to receive life, and not everybody wants to do that. <laughs> um, to some, the Bible says, Paul says later, we are the aroma. We are the aroma of Christ. To those who are being saved, we are pleasing aroma. But to those, we are others, we are an aroma of death. Um, and what this soil reminds us is, 
that's not to say that we should give up, though, on anyone, because it's God's will that all should perish. Rather, I think what we're supposed to notice is there is an outright enemy raging for the human heart. So, these birds of the air are, the very, are very obvious, Jesus says it, is the enemy. He comes to steal and to kill and destroy. So, every time we preach the gospel, there is an enemy at work seeking to steal that seed. And we have, in prayer and in the authority of Jesus, we have to pray against that. We have to push back those tactics. We have to come against that in the name of Jesus and pray that the spiritual blindness that is over people that don't receive the Word of God, that that gets lifted, that gets removed, that the shackles fall off and they can see, that they can see the kingdom, that they can see Jesus. And, um, and we want to be aware too that sometimes we, you know, we can come to church and seeds are being sown, or we can be in a, this time of life where we just, we're just not really paying attention. And the seeds of God that are trying to be planted in their hearts, they, they get stolen quick. Um, and, and we don't want that. And so the first soil is about those who hear the Word of God and resist or have no spiritual understanding of their need of salvation, because there is an enemy raging for the human heart. Second one, the rocky soil. <clears throat> Let's see what it says, verses 5 to 6. It says this in the initial tarling of the parable. It says, They did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. The interpretation then of Jesus later on in the passage says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the Word of God, listen, at once receives it with joy. <laughs> they received it with joy at the start. It looks like they've got it. But since they have no root, they only last for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, they quickly fall away. This soil represents someone who initially seems to say yes to the Word of God, even receives it with joy. But the life of following Christ is short-lived. <laughs> it's superficial. It goes nowhere. There's no depth. There's no root. And Jesus describes it as shallow. <clears throat> this is a part of the cultural Christianity of the Western world today. This is YouTube Christianity. This is... Um, I love a bit of worship music and an inspirational quote in Facebook, and I'll hope that'll get me through my Christian life. But when the sun comes up, when things get tough, it's like, and then you'll hear statements like this, I give Christianity a go. <laughs> I, give, I give the Christian thing a go. It didn't really work for me. Or they'll say, God didn't answer my prayers. So, it just hasn't really worked for me. And um, that's not in any way to take away from the pain that maybe people go through that cause that kind of response. But ultimately, in the long term, those people have missed the point because it's not about it working for you. It's about you giving up you. And in giving up you, even through the difficult and trying times, you'll find a life that you can never get here. This is, this is initial excitement Christianity without perseverance. This is the buzz of like being in a, you know, kind of really great meeting. 
and then the doom and gloom of Wednesday or morning or whatever hits, and you just just can't see it through. And often, often these this category of people haven't broken out of the kind of buffer of self. It's still all a little bit. Is this working for me? They haven't moved into necessarily a place of sacrifice, laying down their lives, give, being committed, and um, and they lose heart. And we all know people, unfortunately, and maybe we've been through seasons in our lives where we've we've lost heart. And 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 I just really want to encourage you this morning. If you've been in a season where you've lost heart, Jesus, by the Spirit, is here today. He's here to remove those rocks. He's here to breathe in around those parts of your life that have felt like they've got suffocated and say, listen, I want to breathe, I want to breathe life in that seed. Because you once received it with joy, and joy can come back. Joy can be restored. Just hang in and hold on. Don't allow your life to be defined by the second soil because the second soil is ultimately when the sun comes up, they give up. Third, the third soil then is the thorny soil. Um, Matthew chapter 13 says, uh, verse 7, sorry, says, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. So verse 22, the interpretation later on says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Choked the word, choked, look it, look it, Luke's version in chapter 8 says, they were choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So, this is, this is also, I think, really prevalent for us in the culture that we live in, because if, first, uh, sorry, if the first soil, uh, which is a very obvious sense that the birds are the enemy coming to steal, this is the enemy in a much more subtle way in a way that doesn't feel like it's the enemy. I am, as I told you before, uh, referred to the fact I'm a terrible gardener. Um, don't take after my mom, who's a brilliant gardener. And sometimes when uh, she used to like, um, uh, I used to think it was for punishment, apparently it was for pleasure, like make me weed. Um, she often asked, uh, sometimes I would not know the difference between like a kind of flowery kind of weed and an actual plant. Any, anybody else that bad at gardening? Okay, okay. Some of you are like doing like. Anyway, yeah. I'm I'm that kind of person. And like, mom, is that a weed or is that an actual, like, proper thing? Like plant, fruit, like all of that. And um, and and so and sometimes then you can do the opposite as well. Um, and I guess what I, you know, what we have to realize with this one particularly, sometimes they don't. Sometimes it doesn't look like a weed or a thorn. In fact, sometimes you actually put Bible verses on it, <laughs> this one, to make it sound like it could be something of the kingdom, but it's not necessarily. Um, and let me explain why. It says in this passage that there's three things, the curse of the world, money, and the pleasures of life. I, uh, the curse of the world, what's that? The modern life. I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest, I kind of like modern life. In one way, I don't really want to go back 500 years. and I, I like modern life, but modern life comes with lots of cares and lots of distractions. We've somehow managed, in trying to make our world more simple, 
to make it much more complex. We somehow managed in trying to advance things technologically and in every other way to actually have the biggest kind of mental health epidemic that there's ever been in the history of the world. We've created systems and things that we think are going to help us, but they actually distract us. You know, how many of us, myself included, would describe ourselves at some level in our lives as, uh, as experiencing anxiety in our lives? And often it's, often it's because something really bad or traumatic happened in our life, but often it's not. Often it's just because our life is hectic and frantic. And so we are distracted by the cares of the world, but we justify it in different ways. And I'm not here to say what you're doing is right or wrong. That's something that we all have to discern. I'm just trying to say, based on my own experience of life, is there's certain things that I'm not even sure that I would obviously call them sin. But I know that I'm distracted at times, and the cares of the world choke how effective I can be for the kingdom and the fruit of the kingdom. We have this thing, it's a real thing. Um, Chris and I were aware for a couple of days at a conference and we're just chatting about this, that we walk into a bookshop now or we walk into um, a clothes shop, or it could be anywhere, um, and, but there's so much choice that we get anxious about what we're going to choose. Do you ever get that? Like, you know, there's so much, it's, it's a thing, like they call it choice anxiety now in the 21st century. It's just like, there's so many books that I feel like I need to read, like right now, and I'm actually getting anxious about the one that I should buy or read, or maybe you want to buy yourself something that I don't know what it is or what it might be, but um, often we make our lives more distracted, and we, the curves of this world end up squeezing and choking. Second one, money. We're going to talk more about this in, in the next few weeks, but it just we need money to an extent. It makes the world go round in one way. But what this verse is really clear, and what Jesus is really clear about in other parts of his, his, his teaching is there is a deceitfulness to riches. The deceitfulness, that is powerful language. The deceitfulness of wealth will choke, will choke you the fruit of the kingdom. But we think it's good. And then the pleasures of life. What's really bad about that? Is it not okay to have pleasure? Sure, go, you know, the pleasures of life can be like the stony ground. <laughs> of course, it's okay to have pleasure in life. God wants us, in a sense, to feel his pleasure. But once the pleasure becomes more important than the pleasure giver or the ways of the pleasure giver, then the pleasure has become an idol. And the pleasure will choke us. And it's, but it's deceptive. It's subtle. It grows up alongside the good fruit to choke. And self gets back on the throne. This is the kind of American dream, only it doesn't just apply to America. It's the way that we find even verses in the Bible to justify the fact that we're getting really prosperous when actually they are choking the fruit of the kingdom. It's no reason why. <laughs> there is a reason why. I'm going to be slightly controversial here. There is a reason why the prayer of Jabez, which is a brilliant prayer in the Bible, is what, but it has been packaged in the books, which is all, well, it's a really, really great prayer in many ways. It's a bless me prayer. Bless me, bless my territory, bless my, bless, and of course we should ask God to bless it, but there surely is a reason why in Western culture that's obsessed with itself, 
that that has become one of the best-selling kind of books. We don't see as many books being kind of sold around. What does it mean to like sell your possessions and give to the poor? We don't see as many. We don't see as much of that. Sure, we don't. We don't see as much popularity. Going to buy that book or kind of get that prophetic word. <laughs> And that's symptomatic of the culture that we live in. So I'm just trying to say this to help us understand that this is the culture that we're swimming in. And we just have to try and discern how we are allowing the fruit of the Spirit in us and the fruit of the kingdom not to get choked by the pleasures of the earth. And so the third soil um, has no room for God as king. There's no room for God as king. It's restricted and choked out. Okay, so it, it receives it with joy, but it doesn't want to make... Jesus, Lord of all. What I want you to notice before I talk really briefly about the fourth soil is this. Two of the field soils, so the two I've just talked about, the second soil and the third soil were both received initially with joy. Right? (laughs) They were both received with joy. So you can receive the kingdom with joy and still have a superficial understanding of the kingdom of God. You, You can receive the word of God with joy and still have a shallow kingdom life. That's what this parable is getting at. And what Jesus really wants us to hear in this is how the kingdom is about producing fruit. I love this quote from Klein Snodgrass. He says this, People think they can look like giant oaks without putting down deep roots. When they realize how much effort it takes to put down deep roots, they too often settle for being bramble bushes. And that's, in some ways, I think, what Jesus is trying to really challenge. But the good soil, yay! (laughs) The good soil is the receptive and resilient soil. Matthew chapter 13, verse 8, Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Verse 23, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word of the Lord and understands that, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So, in contrast to the road, this soil is soft, it's receptive, it's unlike the rocky soil, where its heart is weak. It's unlike, it's unlike the rocky soil, which doesn't give up with God's help to get them through, and it's surrendered to the Spirit who's clearing up all the suffocating snares and curves of the world. This is a heart that's ready to receive the kingdom. Luke's version says this is a good and noble heart who hear the word of the Lord, retain it, and produce a crop. This is a heart that is yielded in an ongoing daily basis to the presence of God to soften to break up anything that has got crusted over the edges, and to allow the seed of God's Word to find fresh, fertile soil so something beautiful can be formed within it. What would you actually rather have as I close this? What would you rather have? Would you rather have Jesus' wise, loving rule in your life? Or would you like a life defined and deformed by just the chaos of life? Would you like to have Jesus' wise, loving rule governing in your life? Or your life deformed 
by the chaos that surrounds us and all the deception of the enemy that comes. In order to do that, we just simply have to yield. But we do have to die. <laughs> we do have to allow something in us to die in order for Jesus' loving rule to come and make its home in our heart. And the way that we do that, just another little quick plug for our, uh, for our life rhythms. Some of you in life groups talked about this this week. Um, but these are, if you want to get practical and apply this word um, to your own life, these, these are ways that I have found keep the soil of my heart conditioned for receiving the kingdom by having a life of prayer and abiding by getting up every day and trying not to recognize myself as the center of attention and the center of the world, but get off the throne of my own heart and let Jesus come and be Lord every day. Um, the, the, the relationships, the people that I have in my life that are going to help cultivate that kind of soil, the mission and work that I'm a part of, and, and the rest and the Sabbathing and the health that I bring, these are all ways that I find practically keep the conditions of my heart right to receive Jesus' wise and loving rule. And that's what we really want to pray for um, as we finish this morning. And that's what we want to lean into more and more. I've tried to set this up um, for the next number of weeks we're going to take a bit more of a deep dive into each of the soils to become aware of what we need to be warned about, but also to become aware of the good news of what Jesus was telling us he wanted to seed within us. And so what I would love to do, maybe we could close our eyes for a moment, could we? Because I'd just love to pray here as I close off in a, in a little bit of a response.